That's the church. And that's a distributed church. Becky and I were with a group of people uh, this week in Washington, D.C. that had a very high opinion of Jesus, but little regard for the church. As a matter of fact, they were a little skeptical of the church. They got together in the National Prayer Breakfast, this group that puts it on, and, and they say the spirit of Jesus, which all religions respect Jesus, can bring people together and unify people. But the problem they had was with the church. Now, I gotta be honest with you and tell you, I don't blame them. The church has failed a lot of people. The church has hurt a lot of people. The church has ignored a lot of people. As a matter of fact, so many times the church has kind of cloistered itself into little groups of people who kind of look like each other and kind of think like each other and are mad at people who don't look like them and think like them. So I get it when people say, not too big on the church. The problem is this, Jesus was big on the church. Jesus had one vision, that was the church. Two elements, make disciples, get them into a church. Because a disciple won't last very long alone. You've got, he's got, he or she has to have a spiritual family. Now here's a question. If, if you are, or, or, or you probably aren't, but maybe some of you are, or some, somebody, you know, I, I love Jesus, I'm just not a church person. Well, is that you don't accept his vision. Because there's gotta be a dividing line, and then you gotta ask yourself if, in, in the words of, of Amos 3.3, 3, Unless two be agreed, can they walk together? Can you really walk with Jesus and exclude yourself from his vision of the church? Let me continue to, to return to the passage that Pastor Vernon uh, first talked about. When, when Peter was asked that utmost important question, the most important question you'll ever be asked, as long as you live, I know who the world thinks I am. Who do you think I am? That's the most personal and important question you will ever be asked as long as you live. Who do you say that I am? And the answer from Peter was this, you are the Christ. And when he said that, all of the words of, that came along with that, you're the savior, you're the, you're the Messiah, you are the one we've all been waiting for, but it was personal because it was a personal question. You are the Christ. You are my Christ, my savior, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter. And here's a, little, here's a little play on the word. The Greek word here is Petros, capital P. You are the rock. What's this? 
And upon this rock, there's a different word, Petra. It's a little pebble. In other words, it, it, for this pronouncement you have just made, this stone, I will put it together and build my church. You're going to be one of the living stones of my church. I'm the chief cornerstone. You're going to be one of the living stones of my church. On this confession you've just made, everybody who makes this confession, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That is how I'm going to build my church. Now listen to this. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. I'm going to keep saying to you what power you have to change this world. But first, I want you to understand something. When somebody looks at you and says, you are the church, they're wrong theologically. You are not the church. The Greek word here for church is uh, ekklesion, and it means assembly. So unless you're an assembly by yourself, you're not the church. What's the church? It's where at least two or three, that's what Jesus said, wherever two or three are, of you are gathered, there I am in their midst. At least two or three of you come together, two or three who have professed me as their Lord and Savior come together, there's my church. Now what does that look like? Doesn't say. You know, we argue, there's like 5,000 denominations fighting over stuff it doesn't say in here. Oh, they'll find something to argue about, but fighting over stuff it doesn't say in here. No, what we see here is a vision that Jesus has. Now watch this, that will go out, go out. You see, when you receive God, the great I am, you need an us. You need an us. Now, who's an us? An us is a spiritual family that knows you, who is in your life every day. This is a mega us. We're, this is a church of churches. This is, a, this is an us of uses. But you, but you need someone to walk with you. And therefore, we then can go into the world because that's where hell is. <laughs> the gates of hell will not prevail. That's a mission. Gates of hell will not prevail against you. We need to go for them. William Temple said, the church is the only corporate society in the world that exists for its non-members. That's why we're still here. I've explained that to you. We're still here because we have a mission and it's them there. Now, how do, how do we accomplish the vision that Christ has together? Two elements. Let's not complicate this. Let's not make it unreachable. It's just very simple. First of all, we make disciples. That is the imperative, not only of the gospel of Matthew or the Great Commission, but of every gospel. This is what it says in, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go. Go is not an imperative, by the way. Go is an understanding. After the service gets done, what are you going to go? What are you going to do? Go. You're not going to hang in here all week, are you? I'm not. I'm not bringing you food if you're here. You know. So just as you are going, just that's what it means literally in the Greek. As you are going, as you are going out, I want you to keep this in mind. 
make disciples. Make disciples. That's the imperative of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always even to the end of the age. This is how that's put in Mark. Different language, same spirit. Matthew, Mark, Mark it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to, whole, to the whole creation. In Luke it says, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In John it says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In Acts it says, But you will receive power. The Greek word here is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. That's, what, that's the power you have in you. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, that's the power you have in you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now remember what I said last week. It's just not them, it's there. That's why we have to go. So we can be a witness. What's a witness? A witness is just simply someone who tells somebody else the experience of what they've seen in their own life. That's, that's a witness. But a witness is only powerful, the most powerful, when they are a, listen to this, witness. It requires witness. That's why we have to go, so we can be with them in their life and be a part of their life. That's when it becomes powerful. That's where the church needs to be formed. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All right? Now, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to make disciples. Let's not complicate this. This is so simple. And some of us do it, most of us do it without knowing. First of all, let's, let's, go, to a, let's go to a scripture we usually, we usually use to, to proclaim the authority of all scripture. Uh, and, and that's uh, 2 uh, Timothy 3.16. And let's take, the, let's take the verses on either side of that, okay? And it's basically, this is what a disciple is. It says in, in, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Since childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise enough to have faith in Christ and be saved. Now that's a very important concept. First element of a, of a disciple is someone who not only knows who Jesus is, but trusts in him. Jesus becomes his master and his Savior. This group of people I was with all week, they, they love Jesus, they, they follow him. And by the way, they're Muslims that follow Jesus. They're Jews that follow Jesus. They're Hindus that follow Jesus. But they follow him as a teacher and as a guru, rather than as the Savior. There's a problem there, because I gotta ask you something. If you just follow Jesus for this, for this person who, who is a, a source of unity and love, I gotta ask you this question. So why did he die? Why did he have to die on the cross? See, he didn't have to die if all he is is somebody that came, came to teach us about love. 
somebody who can, who, who can bring people of all sorts of faiths together. No, there was this sin problem that required payment from a holy God. You have one of two sources, one of two ideas of who God is. Either God is a holy God that cannot be touched by sin. You cannot be in the presence of God for eternity and go in as a sinner because that's his kind of holiness and purity. Or you have this nice old guy in the clouds who grades on a scale, who, who grades on the curve. Most people think that's who God is. Nice old grandfather who kind of grades on the curve. If you're bad enough, you go to hell. If you're good enough, you go to heaven. And he'll cut you a break if you're in the middle. That's like having a doctor who you go in and he says, well, you got cancer, but let's all get along. The, trade doctors because you got something radically wrong and you need it taken care of. We got something radically wrong in sin and we need a savior. In this, in this presidential prayer breakfast that we went to, the speaker was Dale Waltrip. Anybody know who Dale Waltrip is? He's an old NASCAR guy. Old redneck NASCAR guy. And buddy, he got up and he told us how long he had resisted Christ and he had this Christian wife and she kept praying for him and trying to get him to church. He's duh, I'm busy. I gotta, you know. Well, he got in an accident and almost died. And he realized where he would have gone if he'd have died. He said this there, there's 3,600 people in the room from 130 countries around the world, all religions. The Dalai Lama is sitting right here. And he said, I'd have gone to hell if I'd have died. Good people go to hell if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their life. Man, he just put it out there. He just said it. But I got to tell you, that's his understanding. Our understanding of what God did in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, there's a qualifier. Whosoever believeth in him. Trust in him has eternal life. So the first part of being a disciple is trusting in Christ, following him. He's our master. Second part is growing in Christ. It says everything in scriptures is God's word. Or the, the, the word is literally God breathed. All right? Ruach is the, is the Hebrew. It's, it's the same way he breathed life into man. It's the word for wind, the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Spirit. All of it is useful for teaching, for helping people, for correcting them, for showing them how to live. So you grow in Christ. And then you are sent by Christ to love and serve your neighbor. Scripture trains God's servants to do all kinds of good deeds. So... Trusting in Christ, growing in Christ, being sent by Christ to love others. Real simple. That's what a disciple is. What's a disciple maker? Anybody who helps somebody with some incremental step toward those three. Parents, when you know, when, when you're reading a Bible story to your children, you're making a disciple. It's that simple. When you're praying with them, helping them get closer to Christ, or praying with them about anything, you're making disciples. When you say to them, why don't you go give that to Johnny? Because Jesus taught us to share. You're making disciples. That's what you're doing. 
That's the goal, watch this, so that Christ can build his church. Now, why do we need to be a part of a church? Notice I didn't ask you why we need to go to a church building. That's a different question. I love this. I'll be here to turn the lights off. I miss you. When This is simply a place where I can come and hug you who are here and love you who are not but are doing the Lord's work wherever you are. I love this. But I got to tell you, the church has to be formed in ways that everyone can be included no matter where they are. And that's got to be just as much of a church as this is the church. And the question comes, why do we need to be a part of the church? And the answer is in the last part of his statement about the church, so that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. This is how we change the world. You don't change the world by politics. You don't change the world by military. You don't change the world by economics. You change the world by giving them a better way to live that comes straight from the power of God. That's how you change the world. And you need to believe in that. We need to believe in that. Let me see. You know, uh, uh, I don't do very many weddings anymore because I'm on call and I'm, I'm often just out of town at the, at the drop of a hat. But, so I don't schedule weddings and I, I don't do uh, very many funerals. I, and I miss them. I really, I really, because that's, that's a time when I can be with families and I just, I love it. So I miss them. But about 10 years ago, I, I uh, um, married a guy that I'd, I'd worked closely with on a, on a, uh, a, a ministry. And, uh, and of course, I don't do, I don't take money for, I don't, I just don't, that's, I'm a pastor. I mean, that's what you do. You don't take money for it. So I never take money for weddings or funerals or anything like that. So anyhow. So a year later, a year after I married this guy and his wife, he sent me a blank check for $1,000. And he said, do anything you want to with it. Well, immediately, I filled it out for the church. Because that's just, that's the best place I can put, I can steward whatever funds come to me. This is 10 years later. He's done that every year. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Two weeks ago, no, two days ago. I get this check, blank check for $10,000. Now, let me ask you, if you had a blank check for $10,000, how would you fill that out? I got to tell you, it took me a half a second longer to actually fill it. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm going to tell you why. Because all of us are prone to love money, aren't we? I mean, that's, Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. You know why it tells us that? Because we're prone to, well, I get it. And he even writes a note. Take your wife on a trip, you know, get journey encouraged, you know, because he loves me and he wants me to be. I'm thinking Tahiti. <laughs> Just for a half second, not very long. But here it comes. I want to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. And there is no better way to do that than to build his vision, his church, that will break 
the bounds of hell in this world. This check is going to the church. And I want to tell you, I, I'm, I'm totally invested in this vision because it's Jesus' vision. It's not my idea. It's his vision. And so therefore, how do we build the church? Real quickly. Two ways. Here's what you got to think. Number one, Jesus is the head of the church. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, it says he also is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Did you ever see one of those cutouts where you stick your head through? You know, and there's a painted body on a board, you know, of a muscle man or, you know, girl going to the beach or a fast car or something like that. <clears throat> and it's funny because the face doesn't fit the body. Let me ask you something. If the church, if your church was a cutout, would the head fit the body? See, I, uh, that's, that's, the church has to line up with the head. Churches don't need to be relevant. I hate that. Churches don't need to line up with the world. I mean, we, we, we do stuff that, 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 you know, you listen to on Z88 and all that. We, we, we have that. But we're not trying to do, we're not trying to be worldly. We're just trying to worship God with whatever we got. But it has to line up with Christ. The second thing is you've got to realize how Christ built the church in the first century. Do you know this book is full of letters that are called epistles to where? To churches. The churches. The church at Corinth. The churches in Galatia. The churches in Colossia. The churches, churches of, at Ephesus. Churches. All through. This is to the churches. Every one of them is different. You know why? Because every one of these churches was different. According to the people who were assembled in that church. Now let me ask you a question. Do you understand that you cannot just go to a church? You can form the church around you that fits both God and the people in that church. Because that is how it was done here. Each group of people were different and these letters addressed specific issues that they had uniquely. We gleaned from them. There was a common theme of unity among all the churches because there's only one church. But each of those churches was recognized. Now do you understand that just like the Marulises, you can build the church with the people around you. As a matter of fact, you should, because most of the people around you will never walk into a church building. So if the church is going to be Jesus' vision, guess who has to build it? That'd be you, and we'll help. You guys that are serving in a correctional facility, it's just as easy to build a church in prison as it is in this, in, as it is in this building. Because you've got relationships of people that you're close to. And God gives you everything you need to establish the church around you. And, and you'll be a part of the network of this church. 
just like the early church was part of a network and they traded resources. You know, I'm sending you so-and-so with an offering for the poor. I'm sending you so-and-so who, who was with me and so-and-such-and-such and, and he'll teach you and so on and so forth. Traded resources, they were part of a network. And that's how the church is built. I've been saying to you, and I'll close with this. <clears throat> and by the way, men tonight, 6.30, this room, if you can make it here, we're going to talk about man stuff. No girls allowed. No girls. You have cooties. We... <laughs> but here's another group that you could establish churches among men that just, there'd be some reasons why that would happen. Can I just say this to you? I'm going to say this is terribly out of sync with today's society, but men think way different than women do. They really do. And, and I love the fact that there can be men who have tender feelings, and I love the fact that there are strong women. My wife is the strongest woman I've ever known. But there's nothing masculine about that woman. And we don't think alike at all. Women think spaghetti. Everything's intertwined. Men are like waffles. Everything has a compartment. <clears throat> and some compartments have no syrup. You know, they're just, they're just empty. So men... When we get together, you know, we like scratch and spit and do men. The point is that there are certain groups that will build strong spiritual families because we are enough like alike to be unified, but different enough to be necessary to one another, to really build one another up in Christ, to hold one another accountable in things that only men can talk about or only will talk about with other men. So the point here is, this is going to be the best year of your life. I, I, I've talked too long. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <clears throat> this is going to be the best. I believe God wants this to be the best year you've ever lived. Not because your circumstances are going to get better necessarily, but because you're going to realize the power of God that resides in you, that is a gift to this world. It's the reason you're still here. The significance of your life that will establish the kingdom of God and perhaps a church that will last for an eternity and will break the bounds of hell in this land. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for this vision. Help us to follow you, not only because you are love, but because you have a strategy to make this world a different place, to establish the kingdom of heaven so that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow and apply them to our hearts that we might not grow cold and apply them to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.